my life is better because I am in relationship with you. Your gifts don't serve to show me up. They serve to hold me up. You may remember a few weeks back, I had an interview with Rochelle Aparam about her new book, Mythical Me, Finding Freedom from Constant Comparison. And today, I'm pleased to share with you the continuation of that conversation. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Podcast. You hinted to this in our last conversation, but could you say more about how the picture, the image, the action of the Trinity speaks into this? Yeah, um, I'm glad you asked that because actually, after having struggled with this comparison thing for so long and for for looking for help on the subject, I I never found anything that really helped me until I started studying the Trinity. And I'll out myself here. I grew up like going to church all the time, like seriously. <laughs> <laughs> my my um my dear parents were so sweet, and we were part of a a, a a great denomination, a wonderful heritage, but we never talked about the Trinity. We just didn't. It's not that we denied the Trinity. We just never talked about it. We didn't talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know if it scared us or if we just weren't interested in mystery. I think a lot of it was that I grew up in a church that was um, uh, pretty much a product of the Enlightenment as much as it was a, a product of the the New Testament. <laughs> so uh, very, very Western, um, the idea of God as ju- judge as well as father and um, not not much conversation about the Holy Spirit at all. But although I was so steeped in church, I had no real knowledge of the Trinity. And when I began studying it, it captured my imagination. And it's not so much that any one person of the Trinity captured my imagination. It was the relationship. The thought of the relationship is what drew me in. The idea that forever there's been this amazing circle of other-centered love that the father loves the son and the son loves the father and the relationship between the two of them is so strong. That spirit is so amazingly strong. It's actually a person. <laughs> it's it's mind-blowing. It really is, is mind-blowing. And it's the kind of thing that um, for a while, I would avoid thinking about because it just gave me a headache. It's like <laughs> trying to contemplate how long is eternity. Well, after a while, you just stop because your head hurts. So the idea that God is one but is three persons, I mean, there's there's no way. You can't figure that out. You can't parse that. But what I love is that this this, this mystery is given to us. It's given to us in the pages of the scripture, but never spelled out for us in a way that we can like take it apart and dissect it. 
It's actually revealed to us as mystery. And it's not, it's not a puzzle for us to try to solve. It's something for us to, to soak in and to realize that it has implications. And for me, the realization that God in himself is relationship. This God who created us in his image knows that community is the very best design. Mm-hmm. He, God knows that we were made to work together. And the Father and Son and Holy Spirit then opened up that life that they had enjoyed forever and created our world and created people in their image. And they lift us up into their life, not so that we can stand alone and isolate ourselves from one another, but so that we can be part of that amazing circle, that fellowship, that life that has existed forever is made available to us. You know, Father, Son, and Spirit, they went to an awful lot of trouble to lift us into their life, you know, (laughs) when they decided to create human beings um, and to make us in their image. And then, of course, um, to create us as free human beings who would could choose or refuse to choose to be in relationship. You know, they don't force their relationship on us. Um, we, we can turn our backs if we want to, at least for now. Sure. But the fact that that relationship um, as the foundation of our being is available to us. That just blows my mind. <laughs> gives it, me a different way to think about myself, to know that I was actually meant to be a relational being. I'm created. I was created by relationship. So I was created for relationship. The fact that I need you is not a defect. It's part of the design. Mm. This is a very good thing. Mm-hmm. And comparison has taught had taught me for years. I had allowed it to teach me that the fact that I wasn't self-sufficient meant that there was something wrong with me. Studying the Trinity taught me that the fact that I need others is something very right mm-hmm. about me. Rather than our giftings being s- sources of isolation or competition that we celebrate each other's gifts and yeah move into that circle of right i can be so grateful for your gifts because you know and, and particularly in the body of christ right i mean so we all have natural gifts there are things that we're born with those of us in the body of christ are actually are, we're gifted by the holy spirit with particular gifts to benefit the body right and then two, I truly believe that one of the most wonderful things about God is that he is strong enough to take even the mess that I make of things. When I, when I fall into sin or when I make mistakes, when I really muck things up, um, which is not his fault, <laughs> but he is able to take those very mistakes 
And through his amazing love and his great generosity of spirit and his power, he's able to bring good things even out of the mistakes I make mm-hmm. or even out of the ways I suffer. Like suffering is no fun. Suffering is not what we would choose. And yet life has a lot of suffering and God is good enough and powerful enough that he can bring good even out of suffering. So I like to, that's called redemption, you know, at least in my lexicon, that's redemption. The, The bringing order out of chaos just like he did in creation, and and bringing good even out of bad. Only God can do this. So every one of us ends up then with natural gifts, with with spiritual gifts, and with redemptive gifts. And we can then offer them to one another. So the stuff that you are and the stuff that you've learned and the stuff that you can do All of that benefits me. It doesn't threaten me. My life is better because I am in relationship with you. Your gifts don't serve to show me up. They serve to hold me up. And I need you. And I think you need me. We need one another. Comparison ends up, um, you know, telling us, that we're, we shouldn't need anyone else. But that is a lie. It's such an alluring picture of mm-hmm. the community of the Trinity and being invited into community with other image bearers. What, what is it about being around a person who is secure enough in themselves, their life with God, that it's just it's just easy. I don't quite know mm-hmm. what that, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. What is that person? That picture of someone who's, who's really quit playing the game and they're able to celebrate and know that they, we need each other. What do they bring? They bring that deep assurance that I think is the key to being a, to freedom, that assurance of being so loved and so valuable to God um, that you're able to embrace your own gifts, like to be able to offer your gifts in service of others. So instead of having to hoard your gift and to, to use it only when you think it'll help you get ahead, you're able just to use it however however the Holy Spirit directs you to use it. You can give it away. You know, you can use it to lift somebody else up and rest assured that there's plenty there. I, so I think a lot of it is, you know, I mean, comparison exacerbates this. But one thing I see so much in, in our society is these ideas of scarcity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that if I have a blessing then I need to hold on tight to it. And if you have a blessing, that means I'm going without. That's a scarcity mindset that's just not true. God is the source of blessing. And there will always be plenty to go around. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be exactly equal. 
You know, I mean, someone said to me, what would you say to someone who looks at their situation and they, they actually know there's something there that's not good? It's mm-hmm. not just that they feel less than, but maybe they are less than. So maybe they're, you know, maybe they have a very sick child or um, maybe they have, they want to be married and have never been able to find a spouse or maybe they, they are married, but their spouse is abusive. Or, I mean, there, there really are inequalities in our world, right? But there is no inequality in how we are loved by God. And I, I really believe that if we can ground ourselves in that love that it is, will never be scarce, that, will ne- that there will never be any scarcity, the love of God, then we can help one another, recognizing that, yeah, there, there, there are differences in our situations, but we are meant to help one another. So I can give and you can receive and you can give and I can receive and we help one another along. You know, uh, as the scriptures say to in Ephesians to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is the way God intended us to be and to recognize that there will be times that you have burdens that you need help with, and the same goes for me. And hopefully there are enough of us that we won't all be in a time of crisis at the same time, <laughs> right? There, there will all, always be some of us who are standing in strength and some of us who are standing in weakness, but we all have something to give, and we can share freely knowing that the source of goodness is unlimited. I don't know, Nathan. I think the person who is so connected to God that they understand that the source of goodness is unlimited. That person is just a joy to be around. I I think of one of our friends as a great example of this, um, Mimi Dixon. Mm -hmm. Her relationship with the Lord is such that she just gives of herself so freely. And is she really gifted? Yes, she is. She's really, really gifted. But it's not the fact that she's so gifted that makes her a joy to be around. It's the fact that she gives herself freely with no rancor, with no hidden agenda. She's just, she's, she's certain of where she stands as one one in whom Christ dwells and delights, as Jim Smith would say. <laughs> and she knows that so down in her bones that she just lives from that center. And what comes out of her makes everybody around her comfortable. You just want to be around her because that love just, you know, mm-hmm. comes out of her eyes. And it's like it comes out of her fingertips. You just you want to be there. And I, that's, that's how I think we, we all want to be and and this is the way we can become we can become more and more like that i'm just thinking of mimi and how when we speak she really listens to us Mm -hmm. and she's like a really good speaker you know right yeah you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean yeah yeah she gives freely and she has learned that there is 
no need to clamor for attention. There's no need to scratch for survival. There it is. Because she is she is seated with Christ and she knows that. Yeah. So she's not she is not clamoring for a place. She knows she has a place. That's it. That's it. And she can yep. offer you a place right there with her. Right. Yep. yep. That's it. Yeah. What would you say to people practically in the moment? So, I mean, we can talk a little bit about, if you'd like, the society we live in today. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a trillion dollar industry that's bent on telling me I'm not enough. And that's right. Comparing me to mythical, you know, human beings that don't exist. Um, Right. What does one do in that moment? How does one make a decision to move towards um, community versus isolation? Right. It takes practice. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I would say. It really does take practice. Um, I believe that comparison, the way I have always done it, is a habit. It, it It really is a habit. And habits... We, we know, are not something that can just be eradicated. There's been neuroscience. Um, there's been research about how habits are formed, and they are formed so deeply in our brains that um, they remain. Like e- even, when, even when memory is gone, sometimes people will still actually act habitually. And when comparison becomes ingrained as a habit, you can't just one day say, oh, now that I know comparison's <laughs> not good, I just won't do it anymore. <laughs> no. Right. Just like Thomas Akempis told us, habit overcomes habit. So you can't just stop something that's habitual. You have to replace it with a mm-hmm. different habit. Mm-hmm. And what I have found to be useful is to replace the habit of comparison almost on a a minute-by-minute basis. Like So, for instance, I would say you have to change the way you're actually doing some of the things in your daily life. I see a lot of people, for instance, using their smartphones as alarm clocks. And so the first thing they do the minute they wake up in the morning is to pick up their smartphones and start scrolling through social media. That's a habitual act. And it can be replaced with a different kind of habitual act. So I would suggest putting the smartphone in another room. If you need it close by, if it's your only phone, mm-hmm. sure, put it where so that you can hear it in case you know someone needs you on an emergency basis, but get a cheap alarm clock (laughs) to wake you up in the morning. And instead of starting your day by scrolling through social media, maybe start your day. This is what I've learned to do. I start my day with the Lord's prayer instead, actually praying it as a prayer Mm -hmm. um, before I ever get out of bed. And then after I hit (laughs) the button on my cheap alarm clock, (laughs) and as I walk to the bathroom and as I get into the shower 
I haven't I haven't started the interaction with other people and the temptation to compare until I've already met with God and asked him for his kingdom to come, his will to be done in my life. Mm-hmm. It's just a new habit that can interrupt the habit cycle of comparison. And I think there are a lot of these, but for me, an awful lot of them go back to the actual moment of need. And so a lot of my replacement habits are actually forms of prayer. Okay. Because not just the Lord's Prayer, but different forms of prayer um, that I can use in that moment. Sometimes, honestly, what I need is something that will interrupt me actually after I have started the comparison. Okay. I have to be able to say, stop. I, I need help right now. So I've found breath prayers to be really useful in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I need help from beyond myself. I can't cure myself with just more of me. <laughs> I need an outside source of help. So a breath prayer such as, Father, grant me in your love, right? To pull me right back, to stop in the middle, not to berate myself, but to pull me back into the assurance of the Father's love. Or if I've gone so far as to actually indulged in the comparison and then maybe gotten into the point of being envious of someone else, in those times, it's helpful to me to say, Father, bless Nathan, the very person I'm envying, bless Nathan, and help him to steward your gifts well. Mm-hmm. You know, so it yeah. depends on where you are, but these are these are little things that we can do day by day, just little building blocks that will interrupt the habit cycle of comparison with something different. And what's wonderful is that these are these are just things that that Jesus did. These are just, <laughs> this is the way that Jesus lived. You know, our the way we believe determines our behavior, right? Jesus really believed. He believed in the goodness of his Father. He believed in his Father's deep love. He grounded himself in that, and then he acted out of it. And um, he did he did things to to keep him there. You know, he studied. He memorized scripture. He prayed. He rested when he was tired. He he did all of these things. He sought solitude when he needed it. You know, and these are all things that kept him right there, very very close to God, even when he was alive here in our world, in this fallen world. He was working and making his way and having to deal with people, but he kept himself very very close to God. And it works. It, it really, these, these little things work, not because we're so awesome and the way we do them is awesome, but because these are things that bring us right into the presence of God and they give Him room to work in our hearts. Mm. You know, I, honestly, Nathan, what I want is not just to stop comparing myself to others. I, I want to change into a person who doesn't really need comparison. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and that, that, that's what I want, is to just not need it anymore. 
I want to become more like Jesus. He didn't need it. And I want to become more like that. And that, that's work that can only be done on the inside. You know, that, that's getting down to the heart of things. And, and that's going to take God's work in, in your heart. But I, I think he's really happy to work. <laughs> well, that's where, I mean, this really is a formational book. I mean, it's just the bedrock of everything you're doing is bringing back to how we become more like Christ and yeah, yeah. navigate the challenges of living in flesh. You brought up something a minute ago that I want to come back to. Um, I mean, some of this relates to self-awareness and mm-hmm. being aware when I'm moving into a dangerous place. And as helpful and good as social media can be, um, it also has the potential to be a really dangerous place in terms of comparison and jealousy and or pride and mm-hmm. um do you think people, this is a different topic now than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago? Only in scale. Okay. I think that the problem of comparison has always been around. And I know that from my own life, I struggled with it long before there was social media. But now with social media, <laughs> I think you could say the problem has gone viral. It's still the same problem. Um, but there is there is one, I'll take that back, there is one important difference, I think. And, and that is the various forms of social media allow us to, as we portray ourselves, they allow us to portray ourselves always best foot forward. <laughs> the they don't demand that we portray <laughs> the whole story, right? right? Right. And that also means that we can look at others and only see others best foot forward. So if in the past, if I portrayed myself with my neighbor, then I might see that actually on Tuesday afternoon, my neighbor yelled at her kid, right? And on Wednesday morning, she looked like the perfect mother, but I kind of saw more of the complete picture. With social media, we don't necessarily see a complete picture. We can see only best foot forward. And so that can be, it can actually be worse for comparison. And you know, social media has now been around long enough that it's being studied by academics. And um, we've always known sort of anecdotally that people were putting best foot forward, but actually there are now peer-reviewed studies saying, uh-huh, yep, people are just are putting best foot forward. And this is one of the reasons that social media use has now been, it's been linked to depression. Um, so that's not yeah. a good thing. So we, if we use social media, we have to learn, number one, that that's just sort of the baseline, that we're not seeing the whole picture. We also have to learn, I think, that um, we can't interact with other people, not even on Instagram or Facebook. We can't interact with people as if they were avatars, Right. And I think I think this is social media is kind of an opportunity for same old, same old ancient heresy of, of sort of the dualism, right? People are not just the pictures they post. Mm-hmm. Every every picture you see on social media is representative of a whole person, body and soul. A person with struggles, a person with gifts, a person with relationships. And when we start interacting with people as if they were just what they post on social media, then I, I think we 
you know, we're, we're guilty of heresy. Then the third thing I think that is a little bit different now is that it is a, um, a temptation that never existed before, right? It, it right there in our hands. We, it's like we, we carry this really good tool for comparison, right, right in our pockets. So that makes it awful handy. So in those ways, yes, it is different, but I think it's mostly scale, honestly. Mm-hmm. And that means we need to be prepared. I mean, I think about the, um, the sixth chapter of Ephesians and putting on the armor of God, you know, and I think, boy, that's the way we need to approach social media because it can be such a good tool. But you need to approach it, you know, girded about with truth and with the helmet of salvation <laughs> and, with, and with prayer mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. instead of so casually. Um, Andy Crouch wrote a book called The TechWise Family where he shares that he came up sort of with rules for the way he and his family use all of technology. And um, I was really challenged by that. I came up with some guidelines for how I was going to approach social media. And so there are some things I've just decided I won't do. One of them is really tempting. You know, you can use a filter that sort of like takes away your wrinkles (laughs) (laughs) of your pictures. And it's really tempting to do that, to think, oh, wow, I can look better if I run my picture through this filter. And so I've set a challenge for myself not to do that. (laughs) And it is, it is really, you know, that, that, that can get right down to the nitty gritty because <laughs> don't we all like to look better? But what impact might it have on somebody else if all I ever post is something that's run through a filter to make me look better? Right. That's, that's, not, that's not an act of love. So I really think that social media can be a tool for connection if we let it but we dare not use it as a tool for disconnection. That reminds me a little of how much I enjoy going to someone's house that they haven't cleaned. And they right. let me into Put that vulnerable ease, space. And I, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, your house looks a lot like mine. So, right. Um, can feel at home here because yeah. it's not perfect. Yeah. yeah. So that temptation for us to create a distorted reality for other people may be hurting people at some extent. Sure. You know, I mean, if you think about loving our neighbors as ourselves, I think presenting ourselves as our just regular, old, messy house folks, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) that that actually can be an act of neighbor love. You know, people don't need more pressure. They need to know they belong. That leads me somewhere I'd like to go, if you're okay with it. Okay. Could you share with people the dream? Oh, I'd be glad to. People may think I'm crazy, Nathan. (laughs) Um, We're not creating distorted realities here. Right. (laughs) But um, I have to start by saying I'm I'm not a person who usually has visions, and I know that some people do. I have a close friend who um, who often sees beautiful visions, and sometimes she shares with them with me, and I'm so grateful. But I'm I'm just not a seer, right? I just I don't see things usually. But one night I had a dream, and it was a vision that took my breath away. 
So um, in the dream, I was aware that I was seated somewhere like maybe like a stadium or maybe it was a courtroom. I'm not sure. It was it was a circular kind of place, almost like a coliseum. And there were rows and rows and rows of people. And I was looking at all the people. And then I became aware that seated right next to me was Jesus. And I was looking around at all the people. And Jesus said to me, they're all the same, you know. And when he said that, I immediately said, you mean we're all sinners, don't you? And I thought, yeah, you're right. We are all sinners. And he said, no. It was obvious that I had misunderstood, right? He said, no, no, they're all the same. And at first I thought, oh, wow, he means not that we're all sinners, but that we are all children of God. And that, the thought of that just really filled my heart with joy. And so I said that to him, expecting him to say, yeah, you got it now. And I was really surprised when he said, no. So I had still missed something. And he said to me, look through my eyes. (laughs) And he took off a pair of glasses somehow. I don't know exactly. I don't know if he was wearing them, but he put these glasses over my eyes that for just a second let me see all the people there. And it was breathtaking. What I saw in that split second was the best I can describe is that it was diamonds and sapphires and emeralds and rubies. I mean, it was spectacular. It took my breath away, literally my breath away. And I woke up and I pondered what the dream could mean. And I I talked with a few wise friends, including one who actually sees visions sometimes. And I knew it couldn't mean that the people were literally all the same because there were diamonds and rubies and, you know, clearly not exactly all the same. And I finally came to realize that what the Lord meant was that every single one was of incredible value. Every one sparkled like a jewel because every single one bore his image. Everyone was a beautiful soul that was so valuable to God. And that has, that has stuck with me. It's really helped me. And I have wished that I could continue looking through those glasses, if we can call them that, because what I have to realize is that I, I'm one of them. We're not literally all the same, but we are all beloved, just so deeply loved by the one who made us, by the one who determines our value. And I've I've lived a little more fully into that love and to the way that, that all of us are so deeply loved by God. There's not the need for competition. And resting in that love that the Lord has for every one of us, I find that I can just delight in 
the ways that other people are gifted. And I can happily offer my own gifts. Because here we all are, deeply, deeply valued. And to say that one is better than another would be like saying that an emerald is more beautiful than a sapphire. That's nonsense. There's beauty all around us in every soul. Wow, that's good. Michelle, thank you for sharing your story with us. Oh, thank you for letting me share. You know, I mean, you know, Nathan, Renovare has made such a difference in my life. I'm really deeply grateful. You're an important part of this community. And it's so fun to see this kind of bedrock in your life. And it just comes through in, in your writing as the soup you've been swimming in for 16, 20 years. Yeah, well, getting more and more saturated, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. Grateful to have had a chance to continue talking with Rochella about her book. Again, Rochella's book is titled Mythical Me, Finding Freedom from Constant Comparison. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.